Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening. I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning show in our 14th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. Um, And with that, let's just get right into our uh, conversation for today. Good evening. I'm William Hosea. Um, A general practitioner, family physician, or family practitioner is a physician slash medical doctor who provides primary care. A GP slash FP treats acute and chronic illnesses, provides preventive care and health education for all ages and both sexes. Some also care for hospitalized patients, do minor surgery, and or obstetrics where they have hospital privileges. Dr. Karen Reed Renner is a family practice doctor who happens to be African-American. She practices in the Bloomington area. She's in the studio with us tonight to talk about her specialty field and the fulfillment she derives from helping those in need. Also, we have um, invited, and she has consented, and this is uh, bringing on exclusive here, she's consented to produce our monthly recurring medical segment entitled My Health Matters, which will offer insights and tips for a more healthier you. And we're delighted to have her here with us today. And once again, she's no stranger to Bring It On, but Dr. Karen Reed Renner, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you so much for having me on again. It's my pleasure. Thank hey, you. You were with us back in July, I think. Yes, was. I was. Yeah. yeah. It was and fun. Thoroughly engaging conversation on, at the time, women's health, I believe. Yeah. We talked a little bit about staying healthy, um, and avoiding the cough, the cold. As uh, one of your anchors tonight is uh, scheduled to see a doctor tomorrow, I have uh, tried to stay healthy. I even got the shot, Dr. Renner, so why am I Which coughing? Which shot did you get? Um, the one they told me to get. Well, I'll... there are a couple. Okay, so it depends on what the visit was about. <laughs> There's a whole lot of shots. Let's say roll your sleeve it's like, up. That's, that's like the new thing now. When the patient comes into the office, we have to go through a whole list, a checklist of the, the different types of immunizations that they need to get. So the flu shot is one that we need to get every year. Okay. Okay, because they're like thousands of the flu virus strains and so and it can that can that's a virus that could be caused by a number of different types of viruses that's Mm -hmm. mutating practically even as we speak so generally they suggest that you get the flu shot every year and they generally recommend you know in the fall to spring to get the flu shot. Now, okay. you can have the flu all year round. You can get a cold all year round, but that's a time where it's much more common. So, wow. and it's it's a preventable illness because people really die from the flu, so we really need to respect it. So as not to die, um, let me explain a little bit about what I'm doing. I thought I was over this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've gone now, this is probably the 10th or 12th day, and mm-hmm. uh, I, well, the rest part I've not really been okay. getting, and I and I and I admit I've been really pushing myself. Yeah. But the fluids, um, and then the over-the-counter, which really yeah. mask yeah. everything. You just feel out of it, but you're not 
displaying the symptoms. Yes. But a lot of people around the city have been coming down with things. I don't know. Yeah, and that's true. Um, and it, it, you know, you could get a virus that may just lodge in the upper respiratory system. Sometimes it goes in the lower part of the lungs. Mm-hmm. And then some people, they, they have the manifestation of the same virus, more like a gastroenteritis. So they'll have, some people may have profuse diarrhea and mm-hmm. it's still a virus. So I think what, when the average patient goes into the doctor's office with these symptoms, they're always wanting an antibiotic and really you have to be sure that it's a virus and not a bacteria. Because the bacteria can also cause, like, say, for example, if it's bronchitis. Mm -hmm. But you can know that it's a viral infection because you get a lot of runny nose, you get aching, you you feel tired. Um, uh, It's a a gamut. You have a a fever um, and cough. Um, So... With the runny nose, that usually kind of points more to a viral infection. So right. that's the first thing to distinguish. Because you could have it for two weeks now and you think, okay, you know, I need to get an antibiotic. But right. it's still a, it may still be a virus that just needs to run its course. Okay. Well, and then I'm thinking as far as how did I get it or contract mm-hmm. it. I've got two little ones. Um, yes. And, and their friends, no doubt, are passing around each other. That's it. They bounce back quicker than we do. Yeah, because they're stronger than we are. <laughs> but while at the same time, they're, they're, you know, their immune system is, is being built up. But, you know, many of us, we have so much stress that's, mm-hmm. that we are dealing with. And I remember the last time I was here, we talked about stress being the number one killer that right. brings right. on all kinds of illnesses. So if you are super stressed, you're not getting enough sleep, your immune system is not going to cooperate the way it needs to in terms of fighting off invasion. So like sometimes when I'm trying to explain to my patients what the immune system does, um, I, I, I tell them that the immune system is kind of like you're the soldiers in a country. And the virus or the bacteria is like the invaders. And so if you've been doing everything right, those soldiers are well strong and they're prepared. They have, they have war readiness. So when the virus comes in, you know, they're ready to fight them off. But if your immune system is down because uh, you're not sleeping well, you have other illnesses, other comorbid diseases, diabetes is one of them that tends to lower your immune system. So what diabetes does, especially if it's not well controlled, and I know I'm kind of going different places here, but oh, stop so me if I'm kind of going too far off. That's what happens in the medical field. <laughs> <laughs> too, too much knowledge in a short period of time. So with diabetes, um, the, these immune cells, they call them the white blood cells, the white corpuscles, and they're different types of those. So when you get exposed to, say, a bacteria, so you puncture your, your skin and that bacteria enters because your skin is part of your your you know, your protection, right? Mm-hmm. So that bacteria now says, oh, I'm in, you know, and it starts to reproduce and go all over the place. Now, if you have diabetes and your blood sugar is very elevated, the immune system can't run very fast to attack those, vi- those, um, b- antib- those um, bacteria or a virus. So that's why when you have other comorbid diseases, you're more likely to get sick and it takes a longer time for you to get better. So, so really, um, you find that younger people, if they don't have a lot of other illnesses, they get over it faster. Now, one other thing I need to kind of point, uh, talk about, 
we tend to run to the over-the-counter medicines. Right. And we always want, when, once you get into the doctor's office, there's the pressure to get a prescription for something for the cough. And really, the cough is protective. Because, yes, because, I mean, all the stuff, the, the phlegm, oh, the cough is cleaning it out. It's part of cleaning out the, the system so that you don't have all the bacteria and all that phlegm stuck in your lungs so that you don't get pneumonia. And we tend to suppress it. So our motivation really to suppress the cough is so that you can rest. But during the day, you cough that stuff up and you get rid of it. So it's best to take the over-the-counter cough medication Mostly at night. at night. That's what I generally recommend for my patients because, you know, you don't want to suppress what's that's already built in by, by, by God for when you're sick for you to expel the virus. The same when somebody has, <clears throat> has diarrhea. Um, we tend to want to give them, you know, they want to get peptobismodium over-the-counter. And if it's a bug that needs to leave your system, the diarrhea is there to get rid of it. So really, you want to make sure you're, you stay well hydrated. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So. Well, Dr. Renner, I have been dying to bring this up um, as I was home was earlier that a pun today. Dying to bring this up? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I had to jump in. I, I'll back out. I'm done. I'm out of this conversation. <laughs> I am listening. Okay, okay. Here we go. Okay. So um, now you came you came on back in July, and we kind of focused on women's health. So, yes. So we, we thought we'd focus a little bit on men's health uh, today. Yes. So have you heard of uh, verywellhealth.com? No. Tell me about okay. what, what you've heard about well, it. Well, I was at home uh, earlier today uh -huh. studying to be a doctor okay. so I could talk to you about okay, this. Okay, no problem, no problem. And I went to this website, yeah. and the very first thing that jumped off my screen, and I'll read it. Uh-huh. Black men in the United States suffer worse health than any other racial group in America. And that, that just floored me. And, yeah. and then uh, it also says lowest life expectancy and the highest death rate compared to both men and women of other racial and ethnic groups. Yeah. So there, there's still a lot of things in our health system, the inequalities that still, even though we're in the millennia, they're still not totally fixed, okay? So it, black men, black women, black people in general, um, if you think about not only the schooling system that we had to go through, but you know um, where we live and what we have access to. So those are still issues. The, the, the socioeconomic inequalities are still there, and those affect he our health. And it listed those... Uh points mm -hmm. and, and several others you know, like uh, uh, just to get raw about it yeah. racial discrimination high rates of incarceration uh, right. access uh, <coughs> non-access to health insurance uh, poverty cultural barriers absolutely so you those know. were things I was thinking in my head but I didn't say it yeah absolutely so it's all is part of the same gamut but um, I don't know what to say because, you know, we have so many other issues that are pressing. Well, I was hoping you could help calm <laughs> me down after I read that, you know. No, uh, you know, what it comes down to is um, dealing with it at the level that we can control and manage. So say, for example, where we congregate in church, you begin to educate Okay, if they're community centers, you begin to educate because like remember we talked the last time about the barriers that we have to deal mm -hmm. with when we interface with the 
with the health system. Okay, I have a patient, and I don't want to breach confidentiality, but um, you know, he had to have a procedure done, and I don't do inpatient um, uh, care anymore. I just do just outpatient um, because now we have hospitalists. But he was supposed to have a procedure, and he called me. I was on the weekend. I was at home. He called me because he was not going to agree to getting the procedure done until he spoke to me. And I actually went into the hospital and talked with him, and then he was able to decide about that procedure. And that's just just kind of like a highlight of the distrust in the system and the way the system communicates. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe there might be cultural barriers, but there is still a lot of those barriers. I mean, some of it is misinformation, and some of it people are just not exposed. The healthcare providers are not exposed to people of different nationality and different cultures and you know that's why we need more um, African Americans people of color in the healthcare field whether it's a nurse whether it's a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner or a physician we need more of our people um, so that when you see your kind you are much more comfortable in being able to right. to you know relate that's after you're done celebrating right yeah <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a, a, a professor in medical school Absolutely, absolutely, um, and that's another <laughs> that's can another show. of <laughs> yes, exactly, because of the attempt to try to roll back some of those um, gains that we've made in higher education. Right. But we'll talk about that in Howard time. University. Yeah, Howard University is an excellent school, but there's something going on back there where there there, there uh, is a move to pretty much shut down the the. Um, uh, medical department there. Really, I didn't yeah, know I was about listening that. Listening to Joe Madison this morning, he laid it out. Oh wow, yeah. yeah but we'll, we'll talk. About I was that thinking about the those um, the lawsuit against Harvard uh, with regard to their admission policies, mm -hmm. but that's another topic. Yeah. Well, see, and, and here's the benefit of having uh, Dr. Karen Reed Renner join us to do segments in the future on healthcare. And some of these topics that um, honestly are a little difficult sometimes to broach, broach we'll be able to. You know, there, there's always been the conversation that I've been involved with as far as our diets. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and, and there's some cultural <coughs> differences. You know, I, yes. I know right now Hanukkah season is upon mm -hmm. us. So I looked this morning on the uh, Today Show and they were yeah. talking about how you make uh, certain dishes and everything's fried with potatoes. Everything and, is about sweets. And sweets yes. and they had different breads. And I'm yes. thinking, boy, that, that, that's unique. But then you look at us in soul food. I mean, oh we, we've gosh. cornered the market. Um, and I was joking around with someone today. Uh, you know, there used to be a time where everything was fried in lard. Yes. Biscuits were made with yes. lard. But now yes. it's olive oil. I mean, we're all sort of yes. embracing olive oil. That's a major change, and it's a good change. It's a good change. It's a good change, yeah. So, so can you tell us as we sort of head into this holiday season, I mean, we're in this roller coaster. Thanksgiving, we survived. Well, how, how did you do Thanksgiving? I did, I did pretty well. I, um, I think, um, well, I'll put it this way. Portion size I worked on. Okay, good. Uh, I tried a little bit of everything, yes. but, you know, moderation. Yeah. Uh, now, later on that night, I did get, a, get another piece of my mother's 7-Up cake, okay? <laughs> so full disclosure. This is a 7-Up cake? Oh, my oh, gosh. She uh, makes. I my would mother, love to taste that. Blanche Boone makes the oh, best 7-Up wow. cake, lemonade cake, awesome. all that. But anyway, uh, I was very aware of what I was putting in my mouth, which yeah. I'm learning to be more. Right. Uh, it takes work. Yes. It does. It takes being... Being intent on being on in control, yes, because absolutely. 
full confession, <coughs> I can mindlessly eat. No, so you have to be mindful. Yeah, I have to be mindful and mm-hmm, present. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially, you know, my wife's cooking is wonderful and it smells great, but I have to be in the present before I consume. That's it. So given that, our culture as a people, do you think it's changed over time? Do you, do you see improvements? I mean, Pat LaBelle, I think she's helping us out with her dishes and, and some others. Oh, my God. But, uh, Did you have uh, Pat LaBelle's uh, sweet potato no, pie? No, 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 we that didn't. That sweet potato pie is so sweet, but it's good. But it's good. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> no, but seriously, um, I, it's, it's, the holidays are really hard. They are. And so I think definitely you have to be mindful, mm-hmm. okay, so that you don't slaughter your diet, right, okay? Right. And I think thinking of it as a budget, okay? So you can spend everything all at once or you could kind of spend it bits, a bit at a time. This way you don't get into the depression that comes from binging right. because the temptation is so great for you just to go all out. Okay, and just remember, you can have a little bit later, you know. So I tell people, drink a lot of water before you eat mm-hmm. so that you don't have to overstuff yourself. Because really, you, sometimes you could just taste one thing and that's all you need so right. you don't feel like you're being deprived. You know what else makes it uh, difficult to eat right or stick to a plan? What right? is it? Is travel. Yes. When you and get away stress, from home and you're yes. off your routine. Absolutely. It, it makes it very Absolutely. difficult. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's another key point is to maintain your routine. So um, being mindful, maintaining your routine, and trying to avoid the stress, the stress buttons, you know, those things that stresses you, that makes you want to stress eat. Well, stress and so, holiday season. Hmm. Yeah. That's Do they go hand in hand? Super. <laughs> <laughs> They're like best friends, yeah. yeah. So, but you still can navigate all of that and still come out surviving in January without having to go into that deep depression of guilt. Right. You know, granted, we're we're overspending most of us, mm-hmm. and and then at the same time we're overeating. So, um, control, yeah, self control, and and you know the the um, uh, commercial industry doesn't help out. Um, I mean, all the different food commercials that we're bombarded with, especially during this time, because they they attach it to family gathering and, and even the portion sizes in fast food places, which should not be our primary place to go and eat. Absolutely, and I, I know we've talked about Absolutely. that. Absolutely, sodium is all out. It's at a higher level, especially if you have high blood pressure. Sometimes you just can't help it, though. (laughs) I call it emergency food. And so even if it's emergency food, try to make healthy choices. You know, you still have control about what you choose to put inside. You know what I mean? Because this is your temple. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yes, ma'am. You get it, right? (laughs) Sounding like my mom. (laughs) Well, you know, again, during this holiday time, you can enter into it even with travel and Mm -hmm. even with guests coming over and even you know holiday season you you sort of associate the cookies the pies the cakes and all these different things well why not substitute some of these things with fruit fruit and nuts and that's a good point but you have to also recognize that some of the fruits are also very sweet so um yeah like you know grapes so even if you're going to have fruits you have to have a limited amount if it's sweet it's Mm -hmm. sugar um, I thought that was a good sugar. It's it's still sweet. So if you're a diabetic, um, your sugar will climb if you had a whole wow. bunch of grapes. Sweet. <laughs> Generally, they say you know maybe about five grapes at a time. You know, so at a time. Yeah. Or, or so at a, how long? At a, at a how long is a time? <laughs> a month 
maybe like I don't five know. Five grapes a minute, you know. Well, let's just put it maybe five grapes a day. <laughs> I'm getting depressed here. We're yeah. gonna have another segment no. with counseling psychologists. So fruits are good services. because it does provide fiber, but you know if it's sweet, it's sugar. So you have to just kind of. Manage your portions. We eat a lot of fruit at my house. Yeah. But, but, but say if the snow comes and I'm shoveling, I'm burning off. It, so you have to plan exercise in it. See, so yeah. you guys, you guys yeah. are doing this talk very well. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. So, yeah, definitely um, making sure that you avoid the, the, those pressure, stress triggers right. that will make you overeat. And, of course, you know, most people are depressed. So don't be alone during the holiday. Find someone who's going to uplift you and support you. Right, don't, right. If you know you're going to go to family members and they're going to, you know, be jabbing at you, crit- being critical, being judgmental, find some other adopted family and go to hang out with those people. You heard and, that here on Bring It On. That's an exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that you can enjoy your time. Right, or if you right. have to be with those people, limit your time with those people who are negative. Right. You know, so that you can enjoy the holiday. Well, the thing I like about uh, our conversations is that you are incredibly real with it, and uh, there, there's no reason to sugarcoat some things. But we talk about the stresses. We talk about just managing portion control. Uh, and then when you prepare foods, um, sometimes you don't have to get heavy-handed with the salt or the sugar or the different things I just add, like I, I teasingly said uh, lard before, but some people still cook and fry yeah. foods with lard. Um, people, come you, on. you can still buy lard. You can still, yeah, you can still it, buy you lard. Can buy it. But it's a three ninety nine. I don't know, but it, you can still. Get or it. I mean, I, I I'm I'm floored by the frying the turkey, but I mean, I guess it tastes good, you yeah. know. So it, again, there is no other um, formula for just making wise decisions yeah. during the holiday season. Right. That's the best way to navigate through that. Um, if you're on a keto diet, lard is fine. You could have all the fat, all the, but you're not on a keto diet. You well, know? well, you so sort of debunked that last yeah. time because that was sort of the the big thing in the summer, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the uh, not only protein, but it's sort of a high intensity protein and in, in certain it's fats. It's high protein, just no carbs. No so carbs. it's it's very limited carbs. Uh, um, some people maybe 15 or 20 grams of carbs, which is not, not, not that much. Mm-hmm. So you can eat all of that you want. I mean, you could take a whole stick of butter and eat it and um, because you're it's putting you through a different part of the um, Krebs cycle, you know, the, the um, so for biosynthesis. So, um, so it's, 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 um, so you are actually able to lose weight because it puts you into a starvation mode. So mm-hmm. it makes your body breaks down your own, the fats, especially around your organs, you know, so that, so that you're able to lose weight. But it's not a realistic diet from my perspective. You lose weight and you lose a lot of weight. Initially, you lose a lot of water. But it's not a realistic diet to maintain unless you are seriously committed to it. Uh, say starting, we're beyond holiday season. Mm-hmm. We're now mid-January, unless Valentine's Day throws people off. But it With shouldn't. Sugar, but, yeah. but but we're beyond holiday season. Would you recommend more of a plant-based diet, um, protein and plant-based with moderation of fruit? Well, it depends on who I'm um, designing the diet for. Uh, well, well, I know that a lot of, uh, say, 
a lot of people in faith assemblies mm-hmm. in particular uh, sort of use the Daniel. The Dan- fast oh yeah, the, the Daniel the fast. Uh huh. I, I understand that. And there's some merits with that. Um, yeah. So, but that's more of a fasting program. I mean, okay. I think it's it will. To, to be honest, any diet you take, you mm-hmm. use, you will lose weight. Mm-hmm. The key is being able to maintain it. Yep. So that's why I tend to when people come for me to help them lose weight. I tell them there's no magic about this. There's no magical pill. There's no magical diet. The key is how committed are you to keeping the weight off? And I think a lot of times where we end up falling short is the commitment. Because there's just it's a lifestyle change and you have to be willing to make that lifestyle change. So, you know, I it's it's always better to take it slow and a little bit at a time. So a lot of times when you do we do the the crash diets, okay, there's an HCG um that it's a shot that helps you lose weight. But it's, it, you know, you're in a very, very strict caloric intake. Some people up to 500 calories a day. That's not much. That's like maybe two cans of Coke or something like that. That's not a lot of calories. So, and and if you're, if you're addicted to sugar, I mean, you're going through that craving. You're going through that craving for sugar during that diet. So you have to be well hydrated. But... It's not an easy diet to get through. And so you have to be really committed to that. So after a couple of weeks, your body begins to rebel. So I think it's better to lose the weight slower. I, I tell some people the easiest way is to cut back 500 calories a day. And you, that starts with you just monitoring how many calories you're taking in. You say because 3,500 right. calories is equal to one pound. 3,500 calories mm-hmm. is equal to one pound. Right. So, so I, I have to lose 7,000 calories just to shed two pounds. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But it comes off slowly. But for okay. men, I, I, I've I, always understood that men can shed the weight quicker yes. because a lot of it's water. The testosterone and the muscles, and they can burn that much faster than women. Yeah, and, so. and when you add the diet with working out. Yes and hydration absolutely then it's not as as, uh, but if you're in a very calorie restricted diet you can't exercise because that's just gonna stress your system and your body goes into rebellion because then the cortisol gets kicked in and then you don't lose the weight what happens when the body goes into rebellion so you don't lose the weight it's like you plateau basically and then your body tells yourself that you are hungry and you want you have all these cravings does that make sense to you perfect so it kind of you sabotage yourself Huh. Yeah. Well, it's uh, this is fascinating, and if you're just now tuning in, you're probably pay attention while you're driving because I know you're probably listening intently. But we are talking with uh, Dr. Karen Reed Renner, who's a family practitioner here in, in Bloomington. Uh, she happens to uh, love this field, as you can hear the passion in her voice, and she's in the studio tonight talking about her specialty fields and the fulfillment she derives from helping those in need. Also, a little bit later on in this broadcast, we're going to talk about her upcoming health uh, segment that she'll be producing entitled My Health Matters, which we'll have uh, as a recurring spot here on the Bring It On broadcast. Um, Let's talk about some of the more serious uh, things. We talked about diabetes, of course, and then the cancers brought on by stress. But Mm -hmm. what other uh, ailments tend to... um, hit the African-American community more so than Men especially. Men, well, yeah, men especially, if, if you could 
Talk to us about that. Um, I think the last time we touched on prostate cancer. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, I, the, the, the deal with prostate cancer is that now they've actually changed the way of screening for it. Usually they had a PSA, the prostate-specific antigen, mm -hmm. that when you go for your annual um, <coughs> physical exam, they would draw the blood, and that's one way. The other way is to, to, to do um, the digital rectal exam. Okay, so when you go for your wellness visit, that's one of the, the tests that they do. Um, so now they've changed it that the PSA is no longer the, the main screening mode. Uh, I still do it because believe me, I feel I'm, I'm old school in terms of my training. So, so there's some things that are a little bit hard to just give up. And I feel like if you have something that could help you, even if it tends to pick up more false positives, at least it's picking something up so that you can actually examine more. So a lot of times, do you understand that concept? So if it comes in, the, the, the reason why they don't want to use a PSA anymore is because um, they're thinking that it's going to cause more harm by picking up too many false positives. So are you saying they're moving more towards the digital rectal exam? Well, it's together. It's to get, usually it's together. Um, uh, but they're trying to take that out. And I feel like it's one of the ones that probably shouldn't. It's something I talk to with my patients and uh, I give them the choices. And usually they prefer to get the test done because I have noticed that um, I've, since I've been in Bedford, I've picked up a lot of prostate cancers just with that test. So it's hard based on my clinical experience to just throw that out because the PSA. the PSA, yes. So the digital rectal exam doesn't always tell you that you have cancer because if you have um, enlarged prostate, you, your prostate will be enlarged, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have cancer. But if, there is, if the PSA is extremely high, then the likelihood of you having cancer is very great. And so they go on to further testing and the key with prostate cancer is to be able to get it early because it's one of those cancers that's, that's that um, you don't have to die from it. Usually most of us uh, as African-American, in the African-American population, that's being picked up too late when it has metastasized to other organs. And so the outcome with any cancer that's picked up too late is a lot more serious than something that's picked up early. So prostate cancer, we talked about hypertension. Um, I had a gentleman come in the other day, and um, African-American, and his blood pressure was two, 200 over 110, and he had ran out of his blood pressure two weeks um, previously because his doctor had changed, and he had been given um, you know, some refills, but then he ran out, didn't have a doctor. So still being able to access the healthcare system it's still a challenge for, for many of our people. Um, testicular cancer. Testicular cancer, yes, absolutely. Um, it's, that is sort of a silent killer because, again, there, there are phobias in, in the male community in general mm -hmm. with, with having some tests done. And, and that certainly, when you, when you have conversations with, with you know, men about mm -hmm. you know, barbershop talks, yeah. whatever, that, 
people don't like to talk about that. And, and nobody wants to get their private parts be squished yeah. on by <laughs> some generic doctor. So. Thank you for that delicate <laughs> way of uh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just being real, you know? I, I was more worried about the other one. <laughs> you know? So, so, so but, but I think some of that can be bypassed by just educating. Right. You know, you can do your own self-exam. I mean, you, you're washing down there. You should be able to right. check it and see if they're... And it's basically, it's easy to pick up because it's external. Right. It's not internal. Women, they have ovarian cancer, and that's more difficult to pick up because it's internal. You can't see it. Right. Breast cancer, it's the same with breast cancer for the African-American population. You're taught to do the self-breast exam. So from um, the time you start your interface, maybe, you know, beginning to get your GYN exam for, for the women, now we've changed it to twin, age 21. Mm -hmm. um, before, it's when you're first starting becoming sexually active. Mm -hmm. um, but now it's at the age 21, regardless of your sexual activity. And at that point, we are taught, we teach the patients how to do the breast self-exam, mm -hmm. which they do every month. And they do it not usually during their menstrual cycle, but a week after their menstrual cycle. This way, if there are any changes, you'll be able to pick it up. So it, the same can be done for the men in terms of the testicular exam, if there are any masses. And if there are anything that's abnormal, don't wait a year, don't wait six months. Come in and see your doctor right away. That's why you know, they're there. Um, you know, there are issues with access in terms of um, in terms of um, health insurance, but I know in Bloomington they do have that um, VIM clinic, which is mm -hmm. if you don't have any insurance. And I know there are issues, but still, it's still available for anybody who have um, low socioeconomic um, status. Do they prescribe uh, medications at that clinic? They do prescribe medications because they do have um, actual doctors who are there, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh. Uh, colorectal mm -hmm. cancer. And mm -hmm. I'm sorry, William, William, I think William had a follow-up question. Actually, I was yeah. going to ask about a colonoscopy. Yes, and, okay. Uh, 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 polyps, cancerous, non-cancerous. Yes, yes. So when you get to the age of 50... And you don't look like you're there yet. Well, thank you very much. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> it's the shirt. Yeah. So the age of fifty, that's when you the you know you start getting the the reminders to get your colon screen, and the colon screen can comprise of just um, a stool sample. I know it's a little gross. It's dinner time, but a stool sample, and they're looking for occult blood. Um, that's the that's the first level because most people don't want the invasive test because it's a bit of a challenge. If, if there is a family history of colon cancer, your time for being screened for colon cancer is 10 years earlier than the, 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 the earliest time that person in your family was diagnosed. So if the person was diagnosed at 40 with colon cancer, your time of, of screening will not be the same as 50, it will be 30. Do you understand that? I do. So, and I, you know, if there's a family history, I generally strongly suggest to my patients to get the colonoscopy because your chances of picking up, you know, a polyp that m is precancerous is much greater with a colon colonoscopy than with just the stool sample. Can you explain exactly what a polyp is? Okay, so a polyp is just an abnormal growth um, of the the cells, the lining of the, um, the gastrointestinal um, tract. And so they look like little um, outgrowths, like um, little 
just little nodules, okay? Um, and so there are different types of them. Some of them um, can be, they call them adenomas, and some of them are benign, and some of them can be precancerous. And whether they're precancerous depends on how they look under the microscope. If they have the nucleus looking a little bit more, like they're changing to become something different. So, yeah, so um, a polyp, it can be benign, but it could also be something that's leading on its way to becoming a cancer. Mm -hmm. And so it's always important to do the biopsy. And then the pathologist who, who studies illnesses, um, mostly does a lot of stuff in the laboratory or the microscope, they, they, they freeze that sample and then look at it under the microscope. And they could tell based on the morphology, the way it looks, the general gestalt of it, whether it's precancer or not. Um. You know, it's this is all fascinating. I was just um, thinking before I almost lost my thought, but um, glaucoma, yes, is another. And mm -hmm. um, how early should people start getting checked for glaucoma? So that's a good question. Um, for uh, glaucoma, um. Usually, if the person is diabetic, they're getting their eye exam on an ongoing basis, right. and that's the best way to pick it up. As far as I know, there's not a recommendation of when you begin to screen, because a lot of times that has to do with symptoms. So usually mm -hmm. it's the symptoms that tip it off. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the diabetic patient, usually every year you're supposed to get a dilated eye exam. And that allows the ophthalmologist or the physician to see, also if you have hypertension, to see the blood vessels in the back of the eye, the fundus, and see how they are. Some of them may be a little kinked, um, showing that there's a lot of pressure. Um, and that would be an exam, uh, gives you an idea of if there's any pathology based on the high blood pressure or there may be some blurriness in the, in the, in the area of the fundus that would allow them to know that there's something going on with your blood, your diabetes, your blood sugar. They also check the retina because a lot of times people get um, diabetic retinopathy. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to not miss your, um, your eye exam appointment um, whether it's with your doctor. Now, most of the times when you go to the doc doctor for your full, your physical exam, the setting is not always accommodating to do that, that eye exam. So a lot of times when you go to see the ophthalmologist, there's some, uh, um, they do a, um, a dropper in the eye right. that helps the eye to dilate and mm -hmm. then they can see it much more clearly. Mm -hmm. So I, um, both my parents had um, laser Mm -hmm. surgery on their eyes mm -hmm. and, and that's becoming more and more common yes. or, or yes. more common in all communities but mm -hmm. in the african-american community you know just uh, altering the lenses lenses of the eyes mm -hmm. so that uh, mm -hmm. there's no, no more need for glasses yes uh, can you talk about that um, and and just whether or not that's a good thing to do or just get stronger prescriptions or is it one of those things no no well i won't put you on the spot <laughs> but, but what's your thought on that well, I, mean, I, I have what they call an astigmatism. So one eye sees far and the other eye sees near. Mm -hmm. So my eyes have been retrained. I, technically, I'm supposed to wear glasses, but I don't. So when you have an astigmatism, the eyes are not seeing it in the, you know, it's not seeing the same way. So if I close one of my eyes, I could see clearly, the other eye not as clearly. 
So you, there are a couple of ways to do this. You could get you could get contact lenses. You can do that LASIK procedure where they do, and it's it works even if you have an astigmatism. And I think that's more of a preference. I don't think that there's anything wrong with with uh, with that. What you have to be um, to be a little bit more cognizant of is if you have other underlying problems that would predispose you to eye infection with you know, contacts. Mm-hmm. So just make sure you change the contacts out so that you're not wearing it for three days. And you could also get, you know, um, uh, scarring or even um, um, cuts on, on your, your, your eyes mm-hmm. from wearing the, the contacts. So I would say whatever your preference is, I don't really think there is any right. yeah, major issue there. You know, I- even if you do have that uh, LASIK surgery mm-hmm. done, it's mm-hmm. only temporary, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't last forever. That's a good question. I'm not sure about that. Well, I, I don't know what the, the warranty is on the LASIK procedure. I've not had one done. My but, wife had uh, had it done several years ago, and, uh-huh. and she no longer, uh, it, it's just not there anymore. I think as you age, your eyes yeah. are going to change, and I, so that may be part of it. Um, so I don't really know too much about it to be uh-huh. able to comment since I'm not an ophthalmologist. But I think, um, you know, it's what, probably one of those things that you have to have an ongoing relationship with your ophthalm- ophthalmologist yeah. to see whatever revision needs to be made. Well, I know but it's an expensive procedure to, for it not to last for the rest of your life. I mean, well, that's a huge investment. It's kind of like uh, electronics. The price has dropped quite a bit yeah. but, but my wife is uh, adamant has she known what she knows now she, she would wouldn't not have gotten have it yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, d- I don't know what the details of how the procedure was done so I really can't comment on yeah. it and it may differ from one person yeah. to I'm, yeah. I'm sure it does so that yeah. might be something I have to one research to and I'll get back to you in the next segment your me- medical segment <laughs> yeah exactly this medical segment I'll tell you what we'll, we'll shift gears before the phone call mm-hmm. uh, from Wanda comes in and uh Talks to William offline, <laughs> but uh, um, you know the the future of medicine, the direction of medicine. Um, Fifteen twenty years ago, it was sort of hypothesized. You know, one day you'll be able to have designer kids. There'll be traits mm. you may not like. There will be uh, characteristics in the family gene pool that you don't yeah, like. I just we just came back from Epcot Center, and that was pretty interesting. I mean, they talked about a pill that you could swallow that can assess what's going on internally and send information back to your doctor. And to me, honestly, as a as a physician, it sounds really good, but it sounds pretty scary. Like nanotechnology. So, yeah, yeah, and. And you know there may be places in this world that they're doing that, but mm-hmm. um, I, I still think that there right now there's still a lot of ethical issues right. that needs to be worked through. So uh, like like the tampering to me when you tamper with genes and and these are the foundational building yes. not building blocks, but yeah. this is how you're made. Yes, and um, there has been talk I, I guess that you know to combat say things like diabetes yes. or if there are triggers that are d- d- discovered at an early age, maybe when you're so many months old or whatever, yeah. then you can start this regimen that can maybe turn off this trigger. Yes. The future of medicine. I Definitely, mean, I think there are ap- good applications mm-hmm. of you know, gene therapy. But you also have to think where there's good, there's always, always going to be the bad. Right. So, I, and I think those those nuances are still being worked out. You know, um, f- 
for patients who are cystic fibrosis, I mean, right. the, the lifespan of a cystic fibrosis patient, back in the day, they didn't even get through their teenage years, right? Mm-hmm. And now they're living into their 30s, you mm-hmm. know, but not very common because we've discovered some things, you know, um, uh, that has helped to kind of loosen the mucus inside the resp- in, inside the lungs to allow them to b- breathe better, mm-hmm. reduce their frequency of pneumonia so they could have a better quality of life. But cystic fibrosis affects every gland in the body. So mm-hmm. it's not a really good disease to have. So uh, for people who are, have cystic fibrosis, uh, th- also think about people with sickle cell. Right. I mean, right. sickle cell is a horrible disease to have for African-Americans um, because it affects every single organ in the body and then you you deal with chronic pain so if they could have a, a a gene therapy that will help that hemoglobin to not sickle so that you know I mean that's something to look forward to but again there's still a lot of ethical issues that need to work out with all the different types of uh, modalities in terms of gene therapy once a gene is out of the bottle the, it's the hard excess to control. And, you know, the abuse, yeah, you know. exactly. But the, the temptation for the uh, for the benefits is, is probably too great. To, yes. to keep mm-hmm. it bottled up. That's you know? true. That's true. And the research labs for pharmaceutical companies, you know, a lot of times we don't know what yeah. is going on in the lab. I think anything that you're going to be able to make money from, right? They yeah. will. You yeah. will see something. But if it's if it's not a money maker, and I think maybe that's just my opinion. I don't have any evidence. I think that may be part of the reason why sickle cell is has not made much progress. Mm-hmm. Diabetes. I mean, it's a multi multi yes. trillion dollar industry. Yes. Um, and every almost every year, there's a new drug that's coming down the pike. So. There's just too many drugs for diabetes, which is good for the diabetic. So people are not dying from diabetes anymore. Right. You know, so, yeah. And then also the uh, the testing. And they have devices that you don't mm-hmm. have to do a pinprick. Is that correct? They're a different type. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, with that so, device, you have to wear something uh, attached to your skin. Where there are different right. types of treatment in terms of uh, managing the blood sugar. So, for example, someone who's wearing, um, who uses the... Um, what is it called again? I'm, I'm having a temporary block. Um, it, they wear something similar to... Um, like <laughs> a sorry. patch or... No, no, no. It's like, it's like a cell phone. And it monitors the blood sugar. And at the same time, it adjusts your insulin. And it works for both type 1 and type 2 diabetics. If they're, especially if the type diabetic is way out of control. Um, I, it's, it's like a port or... It's, It'll come. It'll come. <laughs> I'm just. I have 15 other words yeah. I use. <laughs> Find the word. Find the word. Well, you know, it's amazing because um, there was a commercial. There's always a commercial, and and that's another thing too. The the frequency and the number of health related, medical, mm-hmm. prescription related mm-hmm. commercials, and they have little jingles. So you'll be able to remember, like, they use Jackson 5 songs. Yes. And they use other Motown songs to help you remember. Ask your doctor about this I'm telling you, there are just too many. Just now that they have, they're able, the pharmaceutical companies are able to market directly to patients. It's, yeah. it's, it has its good, but it also has its bad. Because then the expectations of the patients are greater. And oftentimes, the insurance company is not going to pay for that expensive drug that just came off 
you know, of just just came onto the market. So because those drugs are extremely expensive, yeah, they you are. know, they're you're talking about sometimes twenty, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars for treatment. There's a new drug for a headache that just came out, and I'm not going to say the name. That um, you know, it was pretty expensive just recently. They've had to reduce the the price of it because it was too expensive. You know, I listened to a show actually yesterday, and like, and I won't name mm-hmm. the show. Uh, don't view them as a competitor, but I'm not going to name this show. Yeah. But they were talking about uh, cancer interventions, yes. cancer treatment drugs, mm-hmm. that uh, each pill is either a thousand or three thousand dollars a pill. Absolutely. And all it really does is extend life for maybe three months. Sometimes, yeah. Absolutely. Sometimes. Absolutely. And to get three months, then you're paying like eighty thousand, ninety thousand for what? For three. Forget about months. it. <laughs> then you Forget get into about the, it. you get it's into too the ethics. Money. You get into the ethics. Yeah. You get uh-huh. into the, the the quality of life. You yeah. get into uh, if you can afford it. I mean, if you're and a family. To be of, honest, when you're when you are facing death, you're desperate. So you will do whatever it takes um, to give yourself extra time. And so for. For some people, that's a, that's an that's not a big that's that's a no brainer, right? Okay, because you know this is it, this is it. So depending on your philosophy, your belief system, then you will go for that extra three months. Now, now, now here's uh, a, a philosophical and, question. Okay, in this day and age, uh-huh. the expectation, as you mentioned earlier, of the patient is uh-huh. find a way for me to live longer. Right, but I would go for quality of life. Okay. You know, because you could live longer and you spend the, all that time in the hospital because you take a chemotherapy medication that reduces your immune system, you get pneumonia, and then you end up in the ICU. It's, it, it, it goes on. But that's something that you have to talk to your doctor about. Insulin pump. That was what the Insulin word. pump. Yep. Insulin yep. pump. Okay. Yep. $1,000 a pill. Yeah. Uh, three months, uh, $80,000. It's cheaper to move to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> But see, then you're going to get the debate about quality. But which, when you go to Canada, right, you don't have to pay for it because then the, right, the healthcare system right. is different. Boy, I like to talk about we <laughs> only have about seven minutes, but... Uh, Plenty of time. The Obamacare, well, uh, the uh, Affordable Care Act. Um, and in your position as a physician, you have office managers who handle that aspect of things. And, and you know, mm-hmm. you, you are professionally trained as a medical practitioner and mm-hmm. you're ever evolving as a practitioner, deliverer of good health mm-hmm. services. Mm-hmm. Um, is America at this sort of fork in the road that either, look, we're gonna buy into the thought that everybody should have good health care or it's still gonna, we're gonna make it so that it's, it's the one class of care and then it's the other higher tier of care. From your experience, and and your and and you know, we are not health economists here, but uh, that is a major debate. Okay, because it wasn't so the election, at least. I did a master's in public health at Harvard, mm-hmm. and my first day of school, the the exercise we did was, what value do you um, place on health? Is it a right? Is it is it a right as an American? Or is it, if you have a choice, a boat, and you have um, an elderly person, a a pregnant mother, and a child, who are you going to put in first and who are you going to save? Okay. And 
the the question is whether you view it as a right. So in 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 Canada and in Britain, it's a right. In America, health is not a right. And if that was the case, everybody would have insurance. Do you understand? You wouldn't have anybody who would not who's out of the system not having insurance, health insurance. So you had a uh, a president who advanced the notion of right. Let's take a step or two or three closer to uh, national health care. Right. Which means that health is a right for all Americans. Okay. But then there was the mandatory kick-in that it wasn't a right, it was an expectation. Mm -hmm. It was basically the law, which everybody sort of on the surface rebelled against. But maybe it was this idea, well, we don't want everybody to have health care because it gets too expensive. And then it gets to the economics. Right. So the truth is it was not affordable. And then the question is who started this and and who did not want this to succeed. So that's tabled for another, another. conversation. So, and, and on that note, so, maybe with the remaining four minutes we have mm-hmm. in this segment, let's uh, talk about some of your, your ideas for some future shows. Not saying that it has to be an exhaustive detailing of every segment mm-hmm. you're going to produce, but what, what things would you like to sort of delve into that we can help uh, as a provider of information to a listening public? I think I would like to focus on men's health because I think that's one segment of the population that's underserved, okay, because, you know, most of the time they, they show up in the emergency room having a heart attack and oftentimes they don't know what brought them what brought that heart attack on. Yeah. So. Um, so I would like to talk about some preventative issues in terms of uh, men's health. Mm-hmm. Um, other issues such as sexual dysfunction. Mm. Um, New frontier. And, <laughs> <bring on. laughs> and um, I know. $1,000 a pill. Yeah, no. not, just, not, just, not just men, not just men, but, you know, um, as we get older, you know, menopause, and they call it andropause, so... Mm-hmm. We'll kind of not to be discriminatory, but we'll deal with some of those issues if I'm permitted to. <laughs> oh, absolutely, <laughs> okay. absolutely. Uh, anti-aging, you know, how to stay younger and more vibrant. Well, they had these yeah. creams you put on your face that take years off your face. <laughs> in, a, in a few minutes. And, and, few and minutes. yeah, yeah, you can inject well, something in your lip, and I mean, yes. in a sag in your eye, and it yes. doesn't. Now that's dang, that's spooky. Yeah, I'm that, sorry. that's a whole other segment. That is, yeah, but, what are you putting you, in you your gotta, that, Those, you got to have money for it. So that's the whole yeah. different story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, if people want to stay younger, they want to spend money on it. it. That's fine. All the movie stars yeah. do the same yeah. thing, uh, right? Those yeah. are also daily applications, too, aren't they're, they? Yeah, so, yeah. And over time, see, no one's done the long time research. Maybe they have on, on, on laboratory animals that, of course, are human-like, you know. Okay, all right, well, we have about two minutes left, and um, we're going to let you have the last word as far as uh, you could talk about your upcoming segments or if there's something during the holiday season you want us to remember what it is or if there's just uh, a caution that you want to extend to people, a trend that you see happening, like maybe vaping. Yes, which, uh, so the last time we talked about that, we touched on it, and I, I did some research on that, and that is dangerous. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like the kids in high school and even middle school are getting into it because it's, it doesn't have the stigma of smoking, but it is worse, thousands of carcinogens. So it's not even any better than the cigarette smoking and it's much more highly addictive. So I would say 
if you have kids who are getting into oh, that, boy, please boy. talk to them. Get them off a bit because it's very hard to get off of that stuff once you get addicted. The same drug, which is nicotine, is is in it, and they high, it's hyped up a lot higher. As of and right now, it's still legal for children to buy it, though, right? Right. Wow, that's a little, that's a scary notion. Yeah, that's a scary yeah. notion. So my basic advice is, as, as I was getting over here um, for the holiday, be positive. Mm-hmm. Get as much rest as you can. Um, when you go shopping, don't shop on an empty stomach. You'll spend too much. That's true. And eat responsibly, meaning don't overstuff yourself because you're going to regret it afterwards to avoid those guilt pangs. I think it's better to take smaller portions, go back and get a little more, and then exercise. So exercise. S- small plate, mm-hmm. smaller portion. I know, right? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, on awesome. that note, we would like to thank our guest, Dr. Karen Reed Renner, for joining us this evening. If you want to contact Dr. Reed Renner, you can reach her at 812-339-6744. Again, you'll be hearing more from her on our recurring Bring It On segment entitled My Health Matters in the very near future. Again, 812-339-6744. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an, e- send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringingon at wfhb.org. We want to make sure that we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The, the email address, once again, is bringingon at WFHB. And we are Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. Our guys, <laughs> our show's producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Today's board engineer is Taya Wilson. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And hanging in here, and I will see the doctor tomorrow. I'm Clarence Boone. Tune in next Monday, December 10th at 6 p.m. to bring it on for another exciting show right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.